welcome to Mind Money Balance, the no guilt, no shame podcast to help you get your mind and money in balance. I'm your host, Lindsay. I'm a financial therapist and coach, woman of color, and popcorn connoisseur. I am so glad you're here. Let's go. Welcome to Mind Money Balance episode number 47, The Power of Financial Resilience with therapist Marissa Esquibel. Marissa is a licensed marriage and family therapist practicing in California. She works exclusively with young adults and 20-somethings who are checking off all the boxes of success and yet feel like they somehow haven't done enough or are failures internally. She's also the host of the newly released podcast called Codependemi that helps young women break free of putting other people's needs ahead of their own. In today's conversation with Marissa, she shares how a series of financial emergencies prompted her to get serious and intentional about her money and acknowledge her financial resilience. We also got into the importance of not comparing yourself to others, aka not taking someone else's journey at face value, and setting intentions and creating action to cultivate a healthy relationship with money. And if you are just starting out cultivating a healthy relationship with money, one of my favorite free resources for listeners and for folks who follow me on Mind Money Balance is my free financial archetype quiz, which you can find at mindmoneybalance.com slash quiz. There are four financial archetypes that talk about both the strengths and the challenges of existing within one of these archetypes, and it can help you just gain a little bit more insight onto why you might act the way that you do with your money and just helps provide you with a little bit more insight about your relationship with money. So if you haven't yet taken that quiz, highly recommend it. It's fun. It's free. It takes, you know, a couple of minutes. <laughs> Head on over to mindmoneybalance.com slash quiz. And if you screenshot and share your result, I would love to see it. Just tag me on Instagram at mindmoneybalance. Okay, with that, let's get into my chat with Marissa. Marissa, welcome to the Mind Money Balance podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you here. And we met in a fun way, which is the chat section of the Therapy Reimagined conference. You had attended a presentation on how therapists can use their existing skills to talk money with their clients. And then afterwards, we followed each other on Instagram. And I was just really excited to see how much you were interested in engaging with money, but also just showing your personality. So I'm really happy to have you here and have this discussion today. So let's dive in with who you are and what you do professionally, but also like just for fun. All right. So I'm Marissa Escobel. I'm not like a regular therapist. I'm a cool therapist and I work with young adults, 20 somethings, 30 somethings who typically are checking off all the boxes of success and yet internally they are convinced they are failures. I have a virtual practice in California. I started in March. Yes, this March, as in the pandemic also hit that same March. So I've been learning to build and 
create a business from the comfort of my home. I'm also a twin. So I joke that I have about nine more months of social intelligence than the average human because there's just me and my sister hanging out. And I'm a runner. I am a happy wife, stepdog mama, and a loving daughter to my parents. Beautiful. Love it. Love it. Love it. So tell me a little bit about your relationship with money. Maybe, maybe rewind the clock, fill us in on, on what your journey with your relationship with money has been like. So I come from a lineage of frugal New Mexican men. My grandfather was frugal. He instilled that in my dad. And then I internalized those same values. For my grandpa's funeral, we were preparing, right? He knew the end was coming. And my aunt, when she was preparing what she wanted to say at the funeral, she asked him, Dad, is there any quote you want me to share with the attendees? Any life lesson? Any wisdom? And he said, you tell those people to turn that light off. <laughs> and we all chuckled <laughs> like, oh, Grandpa Abe, because Lindsay, he was so frugal. He didn't want to spend one extra penny on an electricity bill. He didn't necessarily believe in the air conditioner. So my dad tends to be the same. Like he walks into a room, the lights on, he's like, <laughs> <laughs> so here's my dad teaching me the value of money and saving and frugality. And then I have my mom who likes to gamble, get her lashes and nails done and shop. Talk about anxiety for a child. Yeah, no kidding. Please both parents. No kidding. And I definitely, my sisters and I, it's interesting how I have an older sister and my twin sister, they're more of spenders. And then it's me and my dad on this side. And how that has impacted me is small things. If and when we went out, I would look at the menu and see an entree for $13.99, but then see an a la carte meal for $6.99. And I would pick a la carte because it's wasteful to get the entree. And then that goes into big things like investing in myself, buying nice things for myself. I mean, eating out as a grown ass 32 year old woman, it's hard. I had all these projections and beliefs around money. And I, that internalized into me questioning my own worth, my own value, especially when it comes into private practice. And so I've really, this past year, I read a lot of books last year about this. And that really propelled me into challenging those limiting beliefs I have about my own spending, about my own worth, and trying to find balance between the wisdom of being frugal like my dad, but also it's okay to order a meal for $13.99 as my mom would not even bat an eye at. So trying to find- With her fabulous lashes on nonetheless. Fabulous. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I love this story. And I 
Thank you for really painting that picture because when I ask people about their money stories, oftentimes they jump, like they fast forward into like one of their first jobs after college or they they jump into something from adulthood. But what we know is that just like everything else, what happens in our childhood impacts the way in which we relate to money and particularly those early years. So I'm really curious, what was going on that prompted you about a year ago to start digging into your money mindset? Oh, okay. Last fall, I worked in community mental health, arguably 60 hours a week with the pay that they provided was minimum wage, maybe less. It probably equated to that. And then I worked in a group practice and I can point my finger and say, community mental health didn't pay me enough. The group practice took too much from the cut. And also I willingly went to work every day, right? So I was complaining while at the, at the same time communicating through my actions, this is acceptable. You can pay me this much. It's totally fine. And so I started to listen to, actually, I really think it was, I started to listen to podcasts from therapists, from females, entrepreneurs, and the mixture of all of those things started to really poke at and challenge the beliefs I had about my worth, about my value, about how much I could make. So once I got licensed, I had heard from enough therapists who got licensed and got out. And I was like, okay, I got to get out. Okay. Wait, what does get out mean for people who don't know what you're talking about? (laughs) I got licensed and I got out of what? (laughs) Community mental health. Mm which in the area I'm at and the position I was in was not sustainable. I was, I developed really bad lower back pain. My doctor thought that I had hyperthyroid because of the symptoms that I was having. You look at me like that, right? There is this, this sympathy that I can create in others when describing. And at the same time, I was showing up day in and day out voluntarily. No one was forcing me to do that job when there were so many other jobs to do. So, but yes, it was very hard. Mm -hmm. And I did, I started to discover that I deserve more. I am worth more. I can find a place that will pay me more. And then I, right. I'm listening to podcasts. I'm working at a group practice. And I did, I saw her, I saw Tiffany McLean at Therapy Reimagined, the conference you presented at, right? You were just a year behind, Lindsay. So I saw Tiffany in 2019 and mind blown, so inspired. And the message was, you are worth it. You can make an amazing life for yourself if you take a chance. I left that conference, Lindsay, and in that same amount of time, it's so interesting, right? The unconscious, the ego. I had a dental emergency that cost three grand and my car got broken into and my tablet got stolen. Woe is me, which the perspective could be, oh no, look what happens when I start to think about playing big, bad things happen. I should stay small and stay secure. Or I never, ever want to feel like this again. And if I have another dental emergency or my car gets broken into, eh, say (laughs) lovey. And that's a different perspective that some people do have. They have it. 
And so I wanted that. And I read you're a badass and you're a badass at making money, think and grow rich and the science of getting rich. Who else knows what? But 2020 was my year. Yeah, so it was really just recognizing the negative beliefs I had about myself in regards to my worth and wanting to challenge those. And then these financial emergencies and wanting to be able to cope with them with a lot more security. Yeah, so you had kind of up until that point been chugging along, doing the things that we are taught to do, whether it's as therapists or as professionals, but following a a predestined outlined plan. You know, you were working at community mental health and then you were working in a group practice. So for people who aren't therapists, this might be like you get your college degree, you go to the job, you get your two and a half percent pay raise every year and you just keep on going and keep on going. But what I heard for you was that there was a culmination of these things that led to an aha moment. So it was hearing somebody else say, you are allowed, in fact, to make a good living and you are worthy of it. And then also having these financial emergencies that led you to go, oh my gosh, I need to kind of make a change. So you read a bunch of books, you listened to a bunch of podcasts. How did you start implementing what you were taking in? Yes. I made a vision board and now I look at my vision board for 2020 and I'm like, where is it? so cute. Right. I had a trip to Spain. Yeah. I had travel and I did have quality time with your partner, which my Mm -hmm. husband and I were doing really well. Good. And I did have from employee to entrepreneur. I did. I did have these, these quotes and lines and I have Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez up there, Ali Wong, right. These minority women who are taking up space. So I had a a vision board party with my older sister and a work husband. He's a therapist as well. Put that up. And I did invest in Tiffany's course. Yeah. I took that in February. And at the time, it was five weeks. And now she's expanded it. It's a year-long program. And I thought to myself, totally self-assigned, But I looked at the outline in the curriculum. And again, nobody told me to do this, Lindsay, but I decided, okay, five weeks. I have five weeks. And in those five weeks, I'm going to take the course. I'm going to tell all my clients that I'm leaving. I'm going to find an office and I'm going to start my own practice come March 1st. And this was at the end of February? This was beginning of February when the course was starting. The course is just about your unconscious beliefs, projections, how to talk about money with clients, what your fees should be, how you want to have an ideal practice for yourself, marketing, et cetera. And I just threw in, start a practice in five weeks bonus. I remember I ran into, she has alumni help out. And I went to a open house for a local MFT chapter and I had done a little teacher's pet overview of the course. And there were pictures of the alumni who were helping. And this one of the alumni, Nick Bogner, he was at the meet and greet, this, this MFT gather. And I ran up to him and I was like, Nick Bogner. <laughs> and I said, oh my gosh, I'm going to start my own practice. I'm so excited. I'm going to do all the things in five weeks and just... And he said, that sounds nice. 
you don't have to do that. Right. I think he just heard my anxiety frenzy, but (laughs) I did, I did it. And it was intense and terrifying and also invigorating. So, wow. Yeah. I am so curious. So the way that you implemented was that I heard you did, you did some personal growth and or you had started doing your personal growth podcast and whatnot. You made this vision board. You had external accountability from other folks who were at this vision board party. Then you invested in a course to talk about money mindset and growing a practice. Tell me about this word invest. You didn't say I bought a course or I spent money on a course. What makes you say you invested in a course instead of buying it? Likely all the books and podcasts. I have. <laughs> you drank the Kool-Aid. <laughs> oh, yes. And it is. It's an investment. It's, yes. I am investing in and I'm going to get out what I put in to it. And so I am at every call. I'm raising my hands. I'm putting questions in whatever form we have. I'm doing the homework and self-assigning opening my own practice, I think too, I realized that this is when I have the support. So why not do it these five weeks as opposed to doing that and then flying blind without any guidance? Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So I'm really curious. It sounds like leading up to a year ago, you were kind of chugging along. Things were fine, but not great. And you also didn't realize like that there was a, a, a potential for something else. And now here we are almost a year into like this year of rapid growth and explosion for you. Have you hit yeah. any hiccups along the way? Hiccups is a very cute and friendly description. (laughs) I've probably had coughing attacks. I've lost breath and needed CPR emotionally. (laughs) Yeah. So I told all my clients in February and I was taking insurance with the group practice. And thankfully for clients who fit my ideal client, 20-something, codependent, anxious, depressed, high-achieving, they said, I will follow you where you go. So I started with them, and then within the first two weeks of March, I was pounding the pavement, and I went to networking events and happy hours and write this meet and greet for therapists, things like that. Added a couple new clients, full fee. Okay, I got this. But the news started to build. I listened to the daily. So I was listening to the daily and Michael Barbaro was having the COVID expert on and talking all about how we're all going to die. And right that second week in March, Friday, I drove home and I had a client that day and he had a cold. So sniffly, you know, just blowing his nose. We didn't know how we got it back then. And so I, I literally was like, I'm going to die. You're going to die. We're all going to die. And I drove home and told my husband, I'm not going back. I have to be fully online. Yeah. That third week I had difficulty sleeping. I was full of anxiety. A couple new clients wanted to wait to meet in person again, right? Preferred in person. So I need the money and also it's not worth it for you or me. 
yeah, that was really right. Here's my vision board. Here's a couple new clients in the first two weeks. And I just felt like the floor completely fell out from under me. Thankfully, it was a lot of calls with fellow limb students. Who Which is the, the Lean and Make, Make Bank program from Tiffany McLean. Yeah. Correct. Okay. Yes. So yeah, lots of calls with them. Yeah, I was panicked. And I told, I remember I, I told one of them, I should get on some talk therapy app. I should get on insurance panels. This is it. I'm done. This is, this is game over two weeks in. And yeah, she said, Marissa, don't. No. It's <laughs> like, okay. I've reflected even on that call and I've told her, thank you so much. Cause I didn't, but right. There was some unconscious, maybe partially conscious motive in me calling her Lindsay. I didn't call other therapists who were at my group practice who were on panels, right? I didn't talk to certain people who I knew would like say, get on a couple panels. Like, hmm. and so, yeah, that was very debilitating and yeah, it's been up and down arguably since March and yet leaning on community and going back to the drawing board, keeping the faith I'm here. Yes, you are here and you are doing amazing things. And what I love about that story is it's so parallel to what so many people experience anytime they're making a financial behavior change, whether it is I'm working on saving money, I'm working on paying down debt, I want to save up money for a down payment, whatever it may be. Those first couple of weeks, you're like full of dopamine and adrenaline and you're so excited. And then inevitably shit happens. In your case, I mean, it was bigger, right? We had, we had a pandemic happen that shifted things. And at the same time, it's like, this is pretty typical in that life tends to throw us curveballs. And I heard how you rebounded and that was seeking out community that was going to kind of hold space for you to be on that growth edge instead of seeking out community who you knew would likely say, well, why don't you just backtrack and do things the way you used to do them? So I love that community was a really important part of your growth. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So we're talking about kind of where you are now. What would you say your relationship is with money now? Money comes to me all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a money magnet. I have, I have post-its around the house that say that. Yes. yes. And it's been good. I, one belief I had when I started in March was I need to hang on and save right? Thanks, dad. Thanks, grandpa Abe. I need to hang on to everything I can this first year. And that has been completely debunked in the fact that I did Tiffany's course. I did a mastermind. I did this marketing class, other business expenses. I have paid money to make money. Mm -hmm. And for this marketing class I'm taking, they have this know your numbers module. And I was scared. I was hesitant because they say, when you do it, you should have at least six months in your practice. So I remember when I started taking the course in March, I was six like, oh, months okay. of an emergency fund. What do you mean by that? 
six months, do the know your numbers activities six months into. Ah, okay. So before you kind of plug these numbers into your spreadsheet, you want an average guesstimate of what your numbers look like. And that means after you have been working in private practice for six months. Okay. Thanks, Marissa. Yeah. And so on September 1st, it was around that time. I was like, okay, Marissa. And I rolled up my sleeves, meditated, and I did all the modules and the worksheets because, right, I was terrified I would be at a loss. I would be in the red and have to really rethink what the F I'm doing. And lo and behold, I was net positive in the green and had to give myself a pat on the back for persevering right the first six months of practice in a pandemic. So I love money. I sense money loves me. It's been there for me, despite my fears that it's going to slip away, or if I don't hang on to it, it's going to leave me. And I have been learning that it's okay for me to spend it because it's going to come back. And I'm also learning how to be smarter about it. So I'm meeting with financial advisors. I have a a savings account where now I pay myself 10% every month. It's the accelerated savings something. I read The Richest Man in Babylon and they say, pay yourself 10%. I listen to the audio. I've heard that from different money gurus. So following the advice of people who I look up to, Definitely, again, finding that middle ground between my dad and my mom so I can just individuate as a money earner. I love that. And what I think is really interesting is that we know growing up in households where we have strong money personalities, you know, it's rare that a person kind of finds happily this middle ground as you're talking about. It's more common that a child will kind of ally themselves with one of the parents because that feels safer in some way or more fun in some way. And then as they grow up, that becomes their identity and they kind of push away the other kind of money persona. So the idea of being able to find the middle ground is really, I mean, yeah, definitely give yourself a pat on the back. I love that. So in terms of like, strategies and tools, what are some of the things that you are using now, whether in private practice or in your personal life to get a hold of your money? Right. So I love spreadsheets. And a couple months ago, I did create a spreadsheet. I titled it figuring out my life. (laughs) And I put (laughs) all of my expenses monthly. And then I even broke down. So my marketing class, it's a year, but I broke down how much I'm spending each month. So yeah, I just have it all broken down, mortgage, marketing class, groceries. So I have a sense of what I'm spending. And then I will add in endeavors that I'm thinking about and how that will impact my bottom line. So, and I'll, I'll tweak, but yeah, I have it and it's on my desktop, figuring my life out spreadsheet. And I have... QuickBooks, self-employed. I've had that for two years. I love taking pictures of my receipts, categorizing them. My accountant loved it last year when I showed that to her. So that was great. And other tools and strategies. 
that paying myself 10%. Yeah, we're, my husband and I were interviewing financial advisors. So I met with one, we're meeting with another and trying to take control of our financial situation. And I love that. And I love, in. yeah, I love that you're doing your due diligence. So I made the, I don't know if it's a mistake, but I, I did something that most people do when it comes to finding an accountant or a tax preparer rather, is that I just used whomever my parents or my in-laws were using. I was like, okay, like that's been working for them. We'll make that work. But the reality is we need to interview our financial planners and accountants in the same way that we would interview a potential therapist because it is an ongoing working relationship and especially as entrepreneurs, but even if you're listening and you're not an entrepreneur, you want to feel comfortable you know, calling or emailing your accountant or financial planner and asking questions and not feeling like you're going to get some sort of response that diminishes you in some way. So I love that you are modeling for folks the importance of of doing a little bit of research and doing a little bit of homework. It's so important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, your story, I just find the, the rapid growth so fascinating. What would you say to somebody who feels kind of some of those feelings that you had mentioned where you felt like you were just like on the cusp of something, whether it's they're, they're about to take a leap into their therapist and they're thinking about leaping into private practice or they're a perfectionist and they're thinking about leaping into asking for that promotion. What kind of advice would you offer to someone who's kind of on the cusp of, of something big or exciting? And I know it sounds like rapid growth, And at the same time, I'm 32. I was 31, technically, when I started my practice. And I have been going to therapy since I was 20. (laughs) So I was extremely codependent with my family, right? Twin sister, I always had someone with me. First day of school, first day of soccer practice, first whatever. I always had a sidekick. And so being out on my own, I really struggled. And I came up with a lot of conclusions, very negative limiting beliefs about myself. And I arguably have been working on them for 10 years. I sense that in my 30s, having more time, I sense that I really had my head, I had blinders on throughout grad school. I had blinders on in community mental health because I was focusing on my clients, my work, and passing all the exams that we needed to pass. And so once that was done, it was, it was like I took these blinders off and I was able to look around and I did start going to therapy again. So it's not like it's been a straight run, but I did recognize, okay, I need to talk to someone. So if you're sensing you need to talk to someone, you should go talk to someone. Being able to look around, reflect on my situation and what I wasn't content with and what about my beliefs about myself led to that situation and being able to pinpoint and work through or just push them aside. I really, that led to the rapid growth. And so for anyone who is starting to have those feelings I would encourage you to sit with and honor them. And despite whatever fear or ego or financial emergency comes up, it's an opportunity to fall forward 
Or yeah, you can use it as proof to demonstrate, oh, this is why I'm not playing big. This is why I shouldn't. And I've seen it. I've seen it with other therapists and friends who the S hits the fan. It's that, okay, this is a terrible dental emergency and car break-in, or I never, ever want to feel like this again. Yeah. And so being able to decide, how do you want to perceive this and move forward? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I would just say to be more objective and then pick the, the forward movement. Yeah. I love that. And the, and the sitting still is easier. I was listening to a podcast the other day. I can't remember which, and they said, it's easier to be a student in a lot of ways. Like it's easier to consume information about what your next step could be or about how to take that plan to get out of debt or invest in yourself or invest in your business. Like that's easy to consume that information and to soak it up. It's so much harder to take action. So I love that your advice is to kind of honor what you're feeling and then choose a path instead of just like closing your eyes and jumping, if that makes sense. So I love that you're saying like honor what's going on and then make a wise informed decision. Even if it ends up being a detour, at least you're taking action. Yeah. Love that. So Marissa, as we wrap up today, where can people find you and do you have any offers that people should know about? Yes. So I am on Instagram and TikTok. I'm, I, I saw your TikToks, but not on TikTok because I'm not there, but I saw them posted to Reels and they were killing me. So <laughs> silly, so funny. So I challenged myself, self-assigned a TikToktober challenge. So I'm posting every day on TikTok. Wow. Yeah. I really like coming up with fun names for things. I was like, TikToktober at therapy with Marissa, one R two S's on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, all the same handles, my website, www.therapywithmarissa.com. And I am offering my response to your message. That's my offer right now. (laughs) Yes. So get in touch with her. If you just like her TikToks and you are enjoying them, you know, it sounds like message Marissa, if you've got questions. And of course, if you are one of those high anxiety, perfectionistic types and you live in California and you're looking for a cool therapist, Marissa is your person. Yes. I say holla at your girl. Yes. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Marissa. This was great. Thank you. It was. Let's get into the takeaways from my conversation with Marissa. The first takeaway is identifying your version of financial resilience. How can you identify the things that you have overcome financially? How can you practice gratitude for having persevered or coped, even if it wasn't perfectly. You know, she shared this series of financial emergencies, you know, the laptop, the dentist, all of those things. And I think so many of us have experienced financial hiccups and we get into this pattern where where we beat ourselves up for experiencing something that is very external to us instead of going, that is something outside of my control. 
how can I acknowledge the strength that I have or the resilience that I have for overcoming it, even if overcoming it was imperfect and messy. So that's the first takeaway is identifying and acknowledging your ability to be resilient in the face of financial adversity. Of course, you know, I would love it if we were in a society that held a greater safety net for all of us. Research has shown again and again and again that in countries where there is a greater social safety net financially, people have better mental health outcomes. They don't struggle as much with economic downturns as the way that we do here in the United States with economic downturns when there's not as much financial assistance. So of course, you know, take into consideration all the societal impacts of living, if you live in the States like me, living where you do, and practicing a little bit of compassion and grace for a very imperfect system. Takeaway number two, do not take someone else's journey at face value. I love how Marissa shared, look, I've been in therapy since I was 20 years old. I'm 32 now and normalizing the journey of where she's at, right? Because this came up when I said, oh, kudos to you for like getting your practice off the ground in five weeks. And she's like, yeah, I mean, it looks like that, but you have to acknowledge all of the work I did behind the scenes to get to a point where I felt comfortable and confident enough to individuate and differentiate myself from somebody else's journey. And I think when it comes to money, especially when it comes to money, we cannot know what is happening behind the scenes financially. This is kind of like that saying, you know, don't compare your first step to somebody else's 1000th step. Is that a saying? I don't know. You know, in this podcast, I really try to peel back the layers from people's financial lives because it's so secret. It's so quiet. It's so underground. And so I hope that hearing not just Marissa's story, but everybody who has been on the podcast, hearing how they relate to their money can help you understand that everybody's journey is different and to not compare yourself to what you see your cousin or your neighbor or your parent doing financially. We just can't always know what's going on behind the scenes. So do your best to not compare yourselves to others, especially when it comes to where you are at on your financial journey. And the third and final takeaway from my conversation with Marissa is something that comes up again and again and again, and it is making sure that you are not only cultivating a healthy mindset with money, but you are also taking small, actionable steps toward whatever it is that you want to achieve. You know, you can't just manifest things. You can't just have these fun mantras that you repeat again and again. You also have to take action and you also cannot just take action without taking into consideration what your mindset is around money. So have your financial goals set out, create some mantras that work for you and find ways to break it down toward taking aligned small steps toward achieving that goal. So those are the three takeaways today. Acknowledge your financial resilience. Don't compare yourself to somebody else's journey and practice taking action while you work on your money mindset. And if you are a private practice practitioner, ooh, talk about a lot of these, and you are are struggling with either the action 
taking side or the mindset taking side, you know, book me for a power session. In 75 minutes, we will talk about what's going on. I will work with you on your money mindset so you can take those aligned action steps towards doing whatever it is you need to do in your private practice to create sustainability, right? So that might look like I know logically I have to raise my fees, but I just feel like I'm going to throw up when I do that. How can I raise my fees and be accessible? You know, that's a conversation I have again and again in these power sessions is is the logic and the emotions that get so muddled up and doing that in a way that is not disingenuous to you. So if you feel like, you know, you've got some of the tools of the trade, but you're really having a hard time implementing Let's work together. Let's do a power session. Let's knock it out in a collaborative way. You can book those at mindmoneybalance.com slash power session, all one word. If you would like to work with me and you are a private practice provider who just needs a little bit of external accountability and maybe thought reframing and help to move your private practice towards something that is more financially sustainable and profitable. And with that, I will see you next week. If you love this episode, take a screenshot and tag me on Instagram at mindmoneybalance with your favorite takeaway. I love seeing what resonates with my listeners and sharing it in my stories. Thanks so much for tuning in. I'll see you next week right here. Neither the host or guests are rendering legal, accounting, clinical, medical, or other professional information. If you want professional help, please seek it out.